Have you ever heard of Ricky and Sherilyn Birdsong? They were married in October of 1979. Ricky was the first African-American head basketball coach at Northwestern University. But before that, he was an assistant coach of the men's basketball team at the University of, of Arizona, where, his, where Sherilyn was the coach of the women's basketball team. What really set them apart, though, was that they were followers of Jesus Christ. Their chief goal was not to win basketball championships, but to live for Christ. The Birdsongs had three children and eventually got out of the, the coaching basketball career. Ricky ended up pursuing another job where he had opportunities to, to coach underprivileged children uh, to reach their full potential. And I don't have time this morning to, to tell all of the stories about his influence, but they are nothing short of amazing, those stories. On July 2nd of 1999, tragedy struck, perhaps you remember, while jogging in his suburban neighborhood with two of his own children, Ricky was shot and killed by a white supremacist. Suddenly, Sherilyn, at 42 years old, was a widow with three preteen children. She was at a crossroads, if you will, in her life. She could give in to despair and give in to bitterness and anger and self-pity, or she could trust God. Here's how one account is given of her response. The author says, as Sherilyn worked through her grief, she kept her eyes on Jesus. While she taught Bible studies at her own church, she addressed the question, is God good? Her, her answer was a resounding yes. If we understand the sovereignty of God, we'll understand it's not about us. It's about God. God enabled Sherilyn to trust him even in the most difficult of life circumstances. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we know from the last few weeks of study that groaning precedes glory. We will suffer in this life. But there is an unbreakable promise that God makes to you for your times of suffering. Now, if you are an unbeliever, if you are not in Christ, even though uh, you're, you're an unbeliever, you're still going to experience suffering in this world because we live in a world that is cursed with sin. But as you'll hear today, that unbreakable promise of God is not made to you as an unbeliever. It's made to God's children. But that promise could be yours today if you repent and believe. I'd like to ask everyone to please turn in your copy of the, the Bible to Romans chapter 8. As you turn to Romans 8, please be reminded of the gift that God's Word is to you. Be reminded that God has spoken. Be reminded that you have God's Word available to you in your lap, on your device. Be reminded how readily accessible God's Word is. You can use the Pew Bible if you wish to find Romans 8 on page 796. If you don't have a copy of the Bible for yourself, you're welcome to take the copy that's there for you in the pew. Specifically, the book of Romans was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to unfold the undeserved, unmatched, and the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We're working through chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 to talk about the assurance that the gospel provides for all of us who are in Christ. For all of us who have repented of our sin and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. As has already been mentioned, chapter 8 is packed with beautiful doctrine, with promises, with realities about God, and assurances of all kinds. It's truly a beautiful chapter of God's Word. And today we come to a verse that is certainly one of the most often quoted verses of Christians throughout the ages. Would you please follow along now as I read from God's Word, Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it, does not, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you were not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. He is none of his. Verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit of, is, is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. For ye have not received a spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glori also glorified together. For I reckon or consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was made su subject to vanity or futility, not willingly, but be by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain until, until now. And not only the creation, but ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what, man, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit helps our infirmities or our weakness, the fact that we are human. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us 
with groanings which cannot be uttered or comprehended. Verse 27. And he that searches the hearts, God the Father searches the hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he, the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Christians groan. Creation groans. The Holy Spirit groans. It's all part of the, of the current space in God's redemptive plans. It's part of this part, the, this phase of God's redemptive plan. There is a future glory given to us, giving us hope for our suffering. There is a current intercessor, the Holy Spirit, who gives us help in our suffering. And there is an unbreakable promise to give us assurance while we suffer, while we groan. And that unbreakable promise is found in Romans 8.28. God's unbreakable promise to work out for good, for the good of His children, is just the catalyst that we need to trust Him, especially when we don't understand the circumstances of our life. Today we'll consider four aspects of an unbreakable promise that provides assurance to all those who are in Christ. First, we will note the inc inclusiveness of the unbreakable promise. Paul writes to the church, and we know that all things work together. Everything. Nothing in your life is excluded. Some people, are, some people are excluded from this promise, as we're going to see later on in the verse. But for you as a Christian, everything that is happening in your life is for your good. Everything. It's completely comprehensive. You have the marital status that will bring about God's good purpose for you. You have the talents and the right amounts of financial resources that will bring about God's good purposes for you. You have the family members, the vehicle, the career, and everything that will bring about God's good purposes for you. Every aspect of your life is included in the prom this unbreakable promise that God makes. He says, all things. Why is it important for us to understand that it's all things? Well, it's important because when you are tempted to doubt why something has happened, when you question a life circumstance, you can remind yourself that whatever happened is included in God's unbreakable promise. Last week, I thought I had a dentist appointment for 3 o'clock p.m., but at 8.50 a.m., my computer notified me of a 9 o'clock dental appointment over on Harrisburg Pike. I was here in my office. And I won't tell you if I made it to my appointment on time because that would cause me all kinds of problems later this week. But we do wonder, right, when things like that happen, why? Is that included in the promise that everything works together for good? Yes, it is. This unbreakable promise should remind us that all of the, the routine things of this life are in God's good hand for us. Brothers and sisters, let's remember to give thanks for the routine good things in this life. Food is good. Whoa, that was weak. Somebody should have amen a lot longer. 
ice cream. Have you ever had Turkey Hill's Dutch chocolate ice cream? I mean, if that's what it means to be Dutch, sign me up. I genuinely, sincerely see ice cream as part of God's goodness. Sleep. Sleep. Not now. Often, right before we turn off the light at night, I'll just say out loud to Tara, how awesome is it that we get to go to bed every night and sleep? And then I'll get a little sarcastic and say, and how awesome, especially for you, that you get to have me beside you. <laughs> Often the last look I get from my wife is a roll of the eyes, as you can tell. But seriously, how kind is it that God would make it so that we have to sleep, so that we don't have to work during those hours? What about the modern conveniences that we, that we use day in and day out? Modern day diapers, brooms, air compressors, ice machines. All of these things are God's goodness to us. Christian, start and end and fill your day with gratitude for all of the routine good things in your life. God's unbreakable promise to work everything out for the good of his children is just the catalyst that we need to thank him and to trust him, especially when we don't understand the circumstances of this life. While this unbreakable promise is all-inclusive in regards to your life, it is exclusive to who it applies to. So we see now the exclusiveness of the unbreakable promise. We are in a Sunday school series right now about the, about the church. And last week we talked about church membership and we talked about uh, how we covenant together with members of a, of a congregation. We make promises. But those promises aren't made to people that are outside the membership. Or <clears throat> outside of the church, excuse me. We don't make those same promises to those who are not members of the church. <coughs> Paul tells us that this unbreakable promise is conditional. It's only for believers. Paul makes that clear to us, this, the exclusiveness of this unbreakable promise, by using two different phrases. In verse 28, he says, And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God. So the first way that this... Con this Conditional, this conditional promise is made um, is, is, is characterized by those that love God. Loving God sums up the, the inner trajectory of Christians. The chief characteristic of a Christian is, is genuine love for God. We love Him because He first loved us. We love Him because He graced us with eternal salvation. We love Him because we are forgiven of sin. We love God, so we seek to obey God. Those who are, who are not God's children don't love him. The unbreakable promise of God working out all things for good is exclusively for those who love God. Do you love God? Do you love God? The second phrase to describe the same condition of the promise is that for those who are called. Verse 28, and we know that all things work together for them that love God to them who are the called. This has the idea of being summoned by God 
into a relationship. Let that sink in. Give that some thought throughout this Lord's Day and throughout this week. God has summoned you into a relationship with Him. This isn't describing someone who received an invitation that they may accept or that they may deny. It's describing people who are objects of God's summoning. He's calling them, He's summoning them to make them recipients of His grace. Now, we resisted, right? Adam and Eve resisted. We resisted through our sin. We, we were like we rebelled against God. We resisted that summoning, but, but we're, we're sinners by, by birth and by choice. But even though we resisted God, God, in His grace, trumped our resistance in order to bring about His purposes. Christian, you are an object of God's calling, of His summoning you. He has called us forward to be recipients of undeserved kindness. God's calling us establishes in us a trust, right? That we need after our calling, after we have been saved. In other words, if we believe that God called us to himself in salvation, we can trust him for anything else that happens after our salvation. God uses his spirit and he uses his word to call people to himself. Friends, that's why when we evangelize, we should use the word of God. God uses his word to call people to himself. So as you're talking to a coworker, as you're talking to someone in a family reunion or to a neighbor, use God's word. God's word is what he's using to draw people to himself as his spirit is at work. In fact, that might be happening right now. If you do not love God, if you've gathered with us, if you're watching online, and you do not love God, if God has not yet called you, I want you to know that he may be calling you today. God is, is not stingy. God is not slack or slow concerning his promise. God is not waiting for some kind of law-keeping on your parts. Rather, God says that if we repent of our sin, and if we trust that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, then we will be saved. That's the invitation that this passage and that this, that this of the service offers to you today. You are invited to believe that, that through his death on the cross, Jesus satisfied God's anger for your resistance. If you need further explanation on what it means to be born again, to be called of God, would you chat with us after the service or later this week? We'd love to show you from God's word what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I read one commentator that said it this way. We know that all things are working for good for those who love God. And we know this is so because we who love God are also those who have been summoned by God to enter into relationship with Him. A summons that is in accordance with God's purpose to mold us into the image of Christ and to glorify us. Have you been summoned by God? Is He doing that now? Friends, God's unbreakable promise to work everything out for good in his children is just the catalyst that we need to thank him and to trust him, especially when we don't understand the circumstances of our life. The unbreakable promise of God is inclusive of all that is in our life. It's exclusive to those who love God, to those who have been called, because he has summoned them. In this verse, we also see the providence of the unbreakable promise. 
Look at the verse again. And we know that all things work together for good. Work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. This is the providence of God's unbreakable promise. In the month of April, there are several HBC uh, men who are going to be headed to a conference uh, down in Louisville, Kentucky. And they sent us a book in advance by John Piper. It's called Providence. One word title, Providence. 700 pages on the providence of God. It's a vast topic, isn't it? Paul uses these two phrases to address God's providence. That first phrase he uses is work together. And we add it to the, the goodness part, work together for good. It's a combination idea. If you eat too much sodium, if you intake too much sodium, I think you'll die. If you take in too much chlorine, I think you'll die. Doctors, you can correct me afterwards if, if I got that wrong. But if you put sodium and chlorine together in the right balance, it makes a really nice topping for waffle fries. I mean, French fries. You can't get waffle fries today. That's for a different day. It makes a, it's salt, right? It's table salt. Combined, it makes something good. God is combining things for good. He's directing everything. It's all under his guidance. It's not that just things work together for good, but that God is working things together for his people. Now let's be clear. God doesn't prevent his children from experiencing things that can harm. Rather, God takes all that he allows to happen and turns those things ultimately into blessings. For surely, we would not see all the things as good apart from the orchestrating work of God. Things work together for good. Not because all things are good, rather they work together. It is a sovereign hand of God directing all the events of this life. We don't tend to think about the pandemic as good. Cancer doesn't seem good. Abuse is not good. Bankruptcy is not good. Again, this is the hand of our Father working these things together for good. Daniel was in a den of lions. But eventually, God used what we consider to be a bad situation as a means for Daniel to testify of the Lord's faithfulness, the Lord's goodness. And here's a truth, the reality of God's Word it's, that challenges us we have to think about the full content of God's Word, the fullness of the teaching of God's Word as we consider it, and also understand the, the limitedness of our own mind. Even sinful choices can be directed so that good comes. God never sins. God doesn't direct you to sin. God doesn't, know, doesn't direct anyone to sin. God has nothing to do with sin. But think about the Old Testament example of Joseph. His brothers absolutely hated him because of his righteousness and because of their own sin. His brothers conspired a plan to get rid of him. First to abandon him, but eventually to sell him as a slave. Then Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house. Because he remained faithful, he rose to a prominent position in the military leader's house. But then he was falsely accused and thrown into prison for two years. 
In time, he was freed from prison, and he rose to prominence yet again. This time, he sat next to Pharaoh. He was second in command in the land of Egypt. His brothers eventually came to Egypt to, to gain help because they were dealing with famine in their own land. So they came to, to gain food. And the same brothers who had so treated him unjustly and harshly were there right in front of him. But they did not recognize him. And after a dramatic series of events, Joseph finally reveals his identity to his brothers. And I think that's when his brothers made a mess for the laundry, if you know what I mean. I often think about the brothers' mindset of fear. But let us be reminded this morning that Joseph understood, though he had not yet read, the unbreakable promise of Romans 8.28. After Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers... These same brothers who had made sinful, God-denying choices. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And he says, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it for good. Yeah, God meant it for good. For good to bring to pass, as it is to this day, to save much people alive. Sproul says it this way, God orders his providence, his providences, so as not to cancel out secondary causes. God does not annihilate the actions of the human will. God's sovereignty does not end where the human will begins. That would be blasphemy. God's sovereignty is not limited. But man's freedom is limited by God's sovereignty. Because God is the ruler. God is the sovereign. We are not. God's sovereignty. This is a, a truth and a reality that will help you during times of grief and despair and sorrow and anger with yourself because of how much you've messed up in your Christian life. It will help you as you serve others who are going through deep, dark times. God's sovereignty can handle anything. Nothing surprises God. Nothing is outside of God's control. God's sovereignty can handle whatever happens in this world. War, abortion, abuse, disease, death, destroyed relationships, racial injustices. Now that doesn't mean that God is the author of those things. It certainly doesn't. It doesn't mean that we can understand how, how all of these things intersect perfectly. But God's, God's work and God's sovereign hand can still work all things together for the good of his children. The second phrase that points to the providence of God is according to his purpose. He's working for those who love God. He's working all things together to them who are the called according to his purpose. The prophet Jeremiah wrote, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for, for well-being or for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. God has a plan. God has the plan. We got plans for life, but sometimes our plans are not his plan. God has the plan. John Newton said it this way. Everything is needful that God sends Nothing can be needful that he withholds. Here it comes again. 
Everything is needful that God sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. Or we could say it this way, everything God sends is needed, everything God withholds is not needed. That truth will help you, Christian. It will help us Christian Westerners with our sense of entitlements, with our arrogant attitude that we know what we need and with the reality that we often are just living like spoiled brats. If we think we need some good thing that God has withheld, we evidently don't absolutely need it. A relationship, a situation, a possession, whatever it is. If we feel that our life has been ruined by a particular event, in reality, that occurrence, that event, that person, the relationship or whatever is accomplishing God's purpose for us. So as if it's, if it's not enough that Jesus is, is interceding for us nonstop in heaven, and as we learned last week that the Spirit is interceding for us with prayers that are, with, or that are exactly in accordance with God's will, on top of all of that, the Father is directing all things for your good. Sometimes we fall into the trap of, of thinking only about all that God has done for us in the past. Choosing us before the foundation of the world, sending his son, Jesus, his incarnation, his death, and his resurrection. But when we think about how God, our triune God, is currently serving us via his, his intercession and his providential rule, how can we not trust him? How can we not be comforted by this? How can we not rejoice in the beauty of this tsunami of undeserved kindness. Christian, we don't have to fear the, the bad things in life because we know it comes from our Father's good hand. When disease strikes, we know that nothing has in fact gone wrong. There are no accidents. There are only God's purposes. Suffering, temptation, sin are all present in the believer's life, and yet God is, is using those to bring about good. Isn't that how it was for his, his own son? God took the most, the most absolute evil that Satan could devise, and he turned the greatest conceivable blessing he could offer to fallen mankind. Eternal salvation from sin. Christian, you can trust the providence of God. You can trust his sovereign rule. Nothing is outside of it and nothing is too hard for it. Be comforted with how God directs for a good purpose in your life. God's unbreakable promise to work everything out for the good of his children is just the catalyst that we need to thank him and to trust him, especially when we don't understand the circumstances of our current life. It's an all-inclusive promise. It includes all things in your life. It's exclusive to those who are called, to those who he has summoned, to those who love God, his children. It's a promise where he is, he is working out together the good things to accomplish his purpose. And then we see uh, also in verse 28 the confidence of the unbreakable promise. And for this, we go back to the very beginning of the verse. It says, and we know that all things work together. Paul doesn't tell us that we feel like God's going to work some good things together for our good. It's not something that we're hoping for. Paul says this is something that we know. Paul says it right here in this unbreakable promise. Friend, you can have confidence. You can know that God is doing these things. Last week, 
we learn from verse 26 that because we are limited by our humanity, we don't even know what to pray for as we ought. We don't know something. But Paul was telling us something now in verse 28 that we do know. What do we know? We know that every aspect of our lives is in God's hand and that God will use it all to bring about good purposes in our life. You know what that means? It means we can't mess up God's purposes because we know that He's directing. We can have confidence moving forward as His children. When we make decisions, we don't have to throw common sense out the window, but, and it doesn't remove personal responsibility, but also at the end of the day, we can't thwart God's purpose. We can make decisions with confidence. Temptation to sin. Of course, we're called to flee from sin. That's God's plan. But when we look back in our life and we see how many times we messed up, a marriage that failed, parenting that failed, morality that failed, whatever the case may be, we can have peace at heart. Why? Because we're mere humans. We can't thwart God's plan for our life. That's what we know. Christian, make the right choices. Be a godly husband or a godly wife. Bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Flee youthful lust. Be a faithful steward of your finances. Follow the instruction of God's word. But also understand that any mess-ups along the way have no chance of thwarting God's good purposes for your life. Christians, we can go to bed at night and we can lay our head on our pillow and we can rest comfortably because we know that all the circumstances of our life are being perfectly orchestrated by our Heavenly Father for our good in order that His purpose for our life will happen as He has planned it and we can't do anything to change it. That is peace. That's heart peace. That's mental peace. That is eternal peace. Sherilyn Birdsong's response to her husband's murder testifies to the confidence that she had in the unbreakable promise of Romans 8.28. When she was asked, is God good? She answered with a resounding yes. She knew that God's providential hand was orchestrating the events of her life for His good purposes. And beloved of Harvest Bible Church, we know too. That's what Paul tells us. We know that Jesus became a man. We know that Jesus lived and died in our place. We know that God summons us to experience His grace. We know that our Heavenly Father is perfectly orchestrating all things for our good. We know that God has a purpose to make us like His Son. We know that we need not fear the difficulties of this life. We know that no, no, we, we don't need to doubt the providence of God. We know that all that is happening in our lives is under the sovereign hand of the one true triune God. And that is why we can sing, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. So on this 20th day of February, the year of our Lord, 2022, it is well with my soul. It is not well with my soul because my life is free from suffering. 
It is not well with my soul because I've, I've kind of just learned to grin and bear it with the hardships of this life. It is not well with my soul because I've done good enough and a good enough job at, at showing enough love to God and for God. It is not well with my soul because I have avoided messing up a million times in my life. Rather, it is well with my soul because I know that for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose, all things work together for good. Harvest Bible Church, let us give thanks for the goodness of God. Let us not fear that we could thwart His plan. And let us, by His grace, trust His unbreakable promise to bring about the good His good purposes in our life for His own glory. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.